remember this. You are never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to get sent into battle. God is calling you to be his apostle, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom to go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ to be sent out to fight for the good that's left in this world. You were not made for excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership of your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Follow God, lead others, and never surrender. and welcome to the Seeking Excellence podcast. I am your host, Nathan Crankfield. Very excited to be with you today and to just share a little bit of wisdom and experience with you. So today I'm going to be talking about my story. I think that I've gotten several questions over the last couple of months of just people asking what my testimony, my story is. You know, every time I have a guest on, I have them start with their testimony and their journey of how they got to where they are, how they became the man or woman that they are. But I don't often share mine. So this is going to kind of be our, our archived version of my story and how I got to, to be the man that I am today and how I got to be in the place that I am in life and kind of what led to the founding of Seeking Excellence of the podcast, the ministry and all the stuff that we're doing now. So very excited to share some of this stuff with you today. So I was born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I was born July 17th, 1993. And uh, I was born to, to my, my father's black, my mother's white. And my dad was raised kind of Southern Baptist, never really super into his faith as he was growing up, forced to go to church a lot. His grand, or my grandmother, his mother, Grandma Betty, Betty Jean Crankfield was a firecracker. I don't even know if that's the proper word. I would more say she's like a hurricane, you know, when it comes to strong, uh, strong black women, she was the epitome of them. And uh, she used to roast my dad without any mercy. And that was like my, always my favorite thing about her. I often couldn't understand what she was saying because she had such a strong Southern accent and I just wasn't accustomed to it as I was growing up, but she used to just cook my dad and it was outstanding. I would, I just remember me and my mother just loving it when she would get in the car and just like, just make fun of him or like call him dumb. And it was hilarious. Very grateful. Shout out to Grandma Betty. I think she's the one who first taught me how to roast people. So she, you know, laid the foundation for what would be uh, just pivotal in the lives of all of my friends for the rest of my life. We have a lot of roasting left to do, ladies and gentlemen. So Grandma Betty, shout out to Grandma Betty. But my dad was raised Southern Baptist. My mom was raised Lutheran. And so I was baptized Lutheran when I was a baby. So baptized Lutheran, dad's Southern Baptist. And then I went to a Methodist school for for preschool. And so Methodist preschool for like four years or so, and, and was kind of raised and really started to kind of learn about the love of God and, and, you know, Bible stories and, and some of the church songs and things like that through that preschool. But then when I started kindergarten, 
I was going to a Catholic school. So I started Catholic school in kindergarten at St. Margaret Mary School in Harrisburg, PA. Loved it. It was a great school, you know, coming up uh, through that school. I started to learn more and more about the Catholic faith and which really laid the kind of the foundation. Cause while I was growing up, we were going to church and then over the years, it just kind of drifted back to going to, to Christmas and Easter. And so we became the, the Christian Christians, you know, over time. So, but before that, you know, before I kind of really entered into the church and all that stuff, growing up, I always say that like before I was the age of 10, my, my childhood was really, really strong. I thought that like my dad and my mom, they did a great job of loving me, of caring for me, of making me feel dangerous, you know, like helping me to be that kind of wild little boy and, and, uh, but also giving me a safe environment to really grow up in. And I was really grateful for that. And I think that it really laid the foundation for who I would have become in a lot of ways. Uh, another one of my heroes during that time was The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, before he became this famous actor and weightlifter and just uh, basically human hawk. He was a, well, he was still a hawk pretty much back then when he was doing professional wrestling, but he was a professional wrestler. And so he was a WWE champ, WWF champ. I mean, he was a killer and he was my absolute hero. I loved The Rock. And so growing up, I think he told me a lot too about just how to carry yourself, how to be confident and how to talk a lot of trash. I'm talking like a lot of trash. The rock taught me how to talk trash. Um, him and my dad. And then a lot of other people that I've met throughout my life taught me how to talk trash, but the rock played a pivotal role there in those early days. I'll tell you what. And so my dad just did a great job. I mean, we did a lot of fun stuff. Uh, he was a truck driver. My mom was a probation officer. Um, and my mom worked in mental health in the probation field. And so both had really, really stressful jobs, you know? And so, uh, uh, my mom working with mental health patients now, I think for almost 30 years, maybe a little bit over 30 years. And my dad was a truck driver. And so up until I was about three years old, he would go out for days, weeks at a time driving truck. And then there was a point in my life where I didn't recognize him anymore. Uh, one night when he called home and he decided to stop doing that, but then started doing these day trips. And so my dad worked incredibly hard as a, when I was a child. Like I remember he would, he would literally work 14 to 16 hours a day and he would start his day anywhere between one and 3 a.m. And it was crazy. Um, but he was often very tired. You know, when he got home, he didn't have a lot of time left, a lot of energy left before he had to go to bed and get ready to do it all again the next day. And he did that six days a week, which was, you know, looking back on it, just like, how do you keep up with that? You know, the man's endurance was, was impeccable, but uh, I was the youngest of his seven kids. I am the youngest of his seven kids. He's got seven kids by five different mothers and I'm the youngest one. My mom's only child. I am my mother's only child. Also her favorite child, somewhat by default, but I'd like to think that even if she had had 10, I'd still be number one. You know, at least I, I hold on to that. I hold on to that aspiration and that, that theory. Um, and then uh, growing up, you know, by the time I hit uh, age 10 ish is when things started to get a little bit more rocky. So that was the first time that my, my dad and my mom really got into, uh, an argument or a fight or just their relationship got to a point where they split up for the first time. And so basically from ages 10 to 13, my parents were on and off and my dad would leave, go stay with another family or just go do whatever he did. I'm not really sure I was a kid, but, uh, he would leave for, you know, varying periods of time up to six months. You know, I remember being the longest time. I mean, my mom would kind of get used to it. We kind of get used to, to living by ourselves and just kind of doing our own thing. And then it would seem like there was always some, some magic that happened, especially if I would go away on a trip. I went away on a couple of school trips, went away on a trip with my grandparents. Then I'd come home and they'd be back together. So, you know, it was really hard for me not to think that I was the cause of their marital problems because every time I was gone, it seemed like they were able to, to get back together and be happy again. So that was kind of a difficult time, you know, a difficult period of my life. Age 12 was the hardest year of my life, you know, that as, at least as far as I can recall. 
call as for, for a whole year. It was very, very difficult. So I just saw a lot of rough things that year. Um, in that year, I, I discovered that I had two more brothers than I thought I had. So growing up until I was 12, I thought that I had five. I thought there was five of us. I thought I had four siblings, five, including myself. But then found out that I had another brother. And then six months later, found out that I had another brother and found out that a lot of the family knew about it and didn't tell me and things like that. So it was just a difficult time, you know, as far as the trust that you're developing uh, with your family, trust being broken. You're a teenager or a preteen, which is already rough. I'm like the bottom of the attractive scale that I'll ever be for the rest of my life. Like I'm at an absolute low point. Like nobody's, nobody's their cutest when they're 12 to 14, you know? So it's like just a rough time, sixth grade, seventh grade, getting in trouble in school, doing all this stuff, acting up. My dad's in and out of my life, you know? So it's just a tough time. It's a tough few years. That same year, my brother got sentenced to, to 15 years in prison uh, and had to go to a federal prison. I talked to my brother through the screen, you know, the glass, the glass case on the phone at the prison for the first time. And it was just, diff- it was just a difficult time, you know, and I'm just evaluating my own life. Like, who am I supposed to be? I'm watching these men in my life just not live up to the standards that I had set for them, my expectations for them. And to be honest with you, my expectations were, for them weren't very high. Uh, but I was still just kind of seeing different brothers and role models and my father and all these people kind of just acting up and, and just really letting me down in a lot of ways and just, just really lowering the expectations and standards that I also had for myself. And that's what I started to realize. I felt like I wasn't loved by some of my siblings. You know, I always felt, especially I, I get into this, some of this with like my racial writings, right? My writings about racism or, or my experiences growing up being black and white. And I really didn't feel accepted by either side. And I think 12 to 13 was the epitome of that. Like that was the peak or, you know, you could say it was the valley, right? It was the low point of when I felt accepted and loved by, by people on both sides of, of that, uh, you know, societal spectrum. And so it was just an incredibly challenging, incredibly challenging time for me. And uh, I grew a lot. I learned a lot through that time. And one thing that was incredibly powerful for me was during that time, I really started to feel the call of the Holy Spirit to want to receive communion. And to me, that meant that, okay, it's time to become Catholic. It's time to look into becoming Catholic. And so praise the Lord. We had Father Dan Powell was the pastor at St. Margaret Mary Church at that time. And Father Dan was an absolute legend. Awesome guy. I I just loved him, looked up to him big time. I still do to this day. And he played a huge role in my life. And so I was 13. I came, I said, Hey, Father Dan, I'd really like to become Catholic. What do I need to do? And he's like, homeboy. Well, he didn't call me homeboy, but he was just like, Nathan, you just did nine years of Catholic education. I think you're good to go. You know, no RCIA needed, like, you know, everything that they know, probably a lot more than they know. You've gotten good grades in religion class. And I did, you know, I loved it. I was a weirdo, like at sleepovers with my friends, like I'd be up early, ready to go to mass because that was the only time I got to go to church was at sleepovers with my friends. And so because of that, you know, my best friend all through grade school and most of high school was a, a kid named Zach. And so Zach's mom, uh, Sheila Sprague became my, my confirmation sponsor. And so I got to ask Sheila to be my confirmation sponsor because at that point in my life, she was the best Catholic I knew. And uh, she was the person who had taken me to mass the most of anybody else. And so um, really any church the most at that point uh, of anybody else. And so I was really honored and just got to ask her to be my confirmation sponsor. And she, she uh, happily, happily accepted that role. My, my confirmation state was David, you know, which is so Protestant to have a, an Old Testament person as your confirmation saint, technically not even a canonized saint, but I don't know. They let me do it. Right. So we got King David and then I got David tatted on the arm later on, uh, rocking the slingshot, uh, with, when he, when he took Goliath out like an OG, like an OG would. And so, yeah, so I converted to 13 first Catholic in both sides of my family. Right. So nobody else in my entire family is Catholic. 
I'm 14 years old. My dad's taking me and dropping me off at mass on Sunday and then coming back and picking me up at the end. It was kind of wild, right? So I'm just like 13, 14, like loving going to mass, would go to mass by myself. One of the main reasons why I don't really accept or tolerate the weak excuse from people that are adults or even young adults or teenagers or whatever to, I don't like to go to mass by myself. It's like, come on, dude. Like I, I remember what that felt like. I remember what it felt like at 14. So you can handle it at 24. I believe in you, you know, just, just get over it. Right. Like it's such an easy thing to just say, okay, I'm just going to get over this discomfort, this, uh, you know, the, the challenge of it and what people think of me, whatever, like just, if you have to go to mass by yourself, maybe it's not ideal, but just do it. You know, like Jesus is worth it. Uh, he's, he's definitely worth it. So one of the crazy things about my conversion is that <laughs> the next year of my life, I failed with everything. So the next, the very next year of my life was the, you know, the beginning of, of, uh, a, a lot of just a lot of sin took root in my life that year. And so I, I lost my virginity that next year. I, um, I, I had smoked weed for the first time that next year. I had my first beer the next year and like started going to parties and things like that and just really got involved in things. And what we really fell in love with me and my friends was smoking weed. And we, um, made it a huge part of our lives. By the time I was a sophomore, like smoking before school, sometimes smoking on a regular basis, uh, carrying weed throughout the school, even, even like got it to the point where I was like really getting involved with some of the older kids, especially football players and was ready to start selling. And I, I was really looking into it. I was doing the math. I'm like figuring it out. I'm just like, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. And that was a huge thing for my life was I, I remember one day like really just sitting down on the couch and, uh, or it was actually on my bed in my bedroom. And I had like all the numbers written out and like what my plan was, um, to start hustling. And, and I was just like, man, like, is this who you want to become? You know, I thought about my siblings. I thought about my brother in prison. You know, I had other siblings who have been to prison, uh, family members going to pr in and out of prison and, I, and, and my mom working with, you know, in probation and, and seeing those guys. And I was just like, is this really who you want to become? Is this the man that you want to be? And I knew that it wasn't, you know, and I remember weeping uh, and just crying, you know, one of those, one of those afternoons where I was like thinking about this. And I was like, look who you've become, you know, by my sophomore year, I had quit the, ba quit the basketball team at school. If you know me, you know, I love basketball and that was a huge thing for me. And I, I quit the basketball team just because I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. You know, and I, I always think that I have a good testimony when it comes to, to ex my relationship with weed because I loved smoking. I absolutely loved it. But I, I recognized over time that I really just was not able to be my best. I, I know that there's some people who can do some good things while smoking weed occasionally or dabbling in or whatever. I just truly believe that you're not going to reach your full potential if that's the kind of lifestyle that you're living, right? So for me, when I was smoking, I just didn't care about anything. I was reckless. I was apathetic. I was lazy. And I just, uh, I, I wasn't going to be the best person of myself. And, and I knew that. Um, so luckily, I say luckily, you know, kind of hesitantly, but luckily we got caught, me and my friend Zach, we got busted by our parents and it was a whole ordeal. We got in a, a decent bit of trouble. And uh, yeah, we did, we decided to stop for the most part, you know, and I had, I had to kind of fall back from that, but continue to drink. It was kind of ironic, you know, after we stopped smoking, we just started drinking a lot more drank, you know, junior, senior year of high school, a lot more than we smoked. Um, but eventually, eventually kind of stopped, but it was kind of a funny thing, you know, like I was a kid at sleepovers, I'd be setting up the parties, inviting the girls over, bringing the liquor, bringing the alcohol, and then waking people up to go to mass the next day. You know, like that was always kind of my jam. Like that was my swag. I'd be like, you know, <laughs> rip shots, like forcing people, like taking shots, like get, everybody's getting smashed. And then the next day I'm like, Hey, we got to go to mass, you know? <laughs> I remember I was the first one that talked Zach and my other couple of really close friends 
into smoking for the first time. And then I also talked them into going on the retreat on the first Kairos retreat, or it was the second Kairos retreat that we had had in my high school. And, you know, just little random things like that. Like I was always a person of influence. I was always one that could get things kind of activated, you know, get things going. Uh, and I really took pride in that. And I really appreciated that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being that person. And, uh, you know, I was just, I just was, I was an ugly version of myself, but my heart desired to be better. I truly desired to want to know the Lord, to want to be like him and to, to be a man who I hadn't seen yet, you know, which I think was something powerful about that period of my life is that my dreams and my goals for who I wanted to be, where there was nobody I could point to and be like, this is the type of man I want to become. I just knew that it has to be possible. You know, like it has to be, it has to be possible that I can be this person who's close to God, who's physically fit, who's getting good grades, who cares about school, who makes their parents proud. Like I can be that person. I just have to learn how to do it. And so when I'm applying to different colleges and things like that, um, you know, that was kind of in the back of my mind was like, where can I become the best version of myself? Where can I can be, where can I really pursue this greatness that's been on my heart, this call to greatness that I felt for so long now, you know, for a solid five years, I've been just feeling this call to want to be something outstanding, to be something amazing, to do something awesome with my life, especially for the sake of God um, and for the sake of the kingdom. And I just, I just thought about that as I applied to school. So I applied to five different colleges, got into all five, only visited three. The third one I visited was the Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And when I tell you that I loved the Mount, I mean it. I love Mount St. Mary's. I know there's a lot of people who have a lot of different experiences, a lot of different gripes and complaints about the Mount. I loved it. I loved every minute that I was there. I enjoyed it. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for it. So I just remember going on this visit to Mount St. Mary's and it was just incredible. The joy that people had, especially Father Brian Nolan, my man. He was a chaplain all four years that I was there. He'd been there for, he, he was there for a total of, a, of, I think, about 10 years uh, but Father Brian, man, and just the people there, the 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 faculty, the staff, like, uh, you know, the cafeteria workers, like people were just joyful. And I was like, there's something about this place and I need it. I don't know what it is. I've always been known to be a smiley dude, always been known to be happy, but I wasn't joyful. And I knew that. And I knew that part of that had to be because of my self-image about who I was, how I was living my life. And I was like, you know what? It's time to change that. So we got in the car that day. After we went on our tour, my parents said, so what'd you think? And I said, yo, I'm coming here. I don't know what I have to do. I don't know who I got to talk to. I don't know how much it's going to cost, but this is going to be my school. This is going to be my alma mater one day. And I made the decision. And so I got to the Mount, um, you know, Tommy, Tommy, this dude, Tommy Grushow, he was my, my, uh, my roommate all four years of college. And so we knew each other going, um, he went to a different high school, local high school, and we were college roommates for four years, but we got there together and, uh, joined the honors program, which was a big, a big thing in my life, uh, played a big role in just kind of who I became during my years in college. I, I, I say that I got into the honors program, I think mainly because of affirmative action, because I did not have great grades coming out of high school. Um, but no matter how I got in there, my mom was proud and she was like, you're going to do this is going to be great. And I said, yes, I am. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> and I learned a lot from those, those honor students. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a blog about that and I, I will record a podcast about it someday about just the life lessons that I learned from studying these students and the way that they worked, the way that they learned, the way that they behaved in class, the way that they developed relationships with the professors. It was outstanding, but that was pivotal for me. Another huge thing for me, I remember the activities fair. I roll up and standing there is my man, Sergeant First Class, Brendan Hollingsworth. Sergeant Hollingsworth, oh my gosh, absolute legend. One of the most influential people in my entire life. He's about 6'4", 6'5", really tall dude. 
Um, he had his 82nd airborne deployment patch on and I was just like, wow, this dude's a rock star. I walk up to the ROTC table and he's like, Hey man, you ever think about joining the army? I'm like, yeah, I've thought about it for about eight years now, <laughs> you know, cause I had, since I was about 10 years old, I'd wanted to join the army and I wanted to ultimately be on a SWAT team. And so that's why I was studying criminal justice in school. And my mentality was you got to be in the military first and do something badass in the military. And then you can go and be on a SWAT team. And so I'm like, yeah, dude, I'd love to. And then he's like, you know, we could pay for your schooling. And I'm just like, one more time. And he's like, yeah, we could pay for you to go to college. And I'm like, oh, now I'm definitely interested in joining the army, you know? At that point in my life, I didn't know anything about officers enlisted. Like that meant nothing to me. I didn't know anything, but I was just like, yeah, I'll come check it out. And so I went to PT. I started participating in ROTC. I did that for my first year of, of, of college. Um, and at this point, my faith life was really starting to deepen. You know, like my prayer life was really getting stronger. Um, I, I just, I realized that the chapels were open all the time. And I lived literally my freshman year, you know, God's, God's good like this. He put, he put me and Tommy right next door to the chapel. Literally like you come out of our door to the left like right there, you know what I mean? Like if you could touch our door and the chapel door with, with your wingspan. And so it was awesome. But yeah, I mean, God just called out to me and he, he really started to develop me in prayer that year. And I really wanted to figure out, you know, going back to when I was 15, a few years earlier to that, who do you want to become? That was my question for myself was Nathan, who do you want to become? What type of man do you want to be? Figure out who it is that you want to become. So that's what I did. And I just really thought about it. I prayed about it. I thought about it. I prayed about it. I thought about it. I prayed about it. And uh, that was like the theme of the whole year. And then at the end of that year, we went on a, uh, a Kairos retreat again, this time in high school, they did boys and girls together in college. They separated the men and the women on different weekends. And so with them separating the different weekends, I went there and it was the first time that I had really heard somebody give me the, the message of chastity, of, of human dignity, of all that stuff um, in a way that I could really receive it. And what I mean by that is they were normal dudes who were telling us about chastity, which I'd never experienced before. It was always some like weird religion teacher, male or female in high school, just somebody who like, I was like, you hate us, you know, <laughs> you're miserable. I'm not gonna listen to you. But this is the first time I saw like, there, I just remember specifically, there was one that was a black male athlete and a uh, really normal dude, awesome guy. Everybody looked up to him. And I was like, wow, you know, to hear him talk about him and his girlfriend are striving to live a chase life together was, was really powerful for me and it changed the game. And so Tommy and I came back home and, and paying that, that evening after the retreat. And we said, all right, man, like we got to do this thing. We got to do this. We got to try to live this chastity lifestyle and, and really pursue it with all our hearts and just give God a chance. And so we did. And we uh, started holding each other accountable and being very, very transparent with one another of when we'd fall and when we fail. And it, uh, it really changed the game. So I, I, I owe a lot of my journey to Tommy and, and especially in that season of my life. Then sophomore year, uh, my, my focus was kind of like, how can I become this person? that God's calling me to be. And I had to take ancient philosophy that year. Dr. Mike Miller played a huge role in my life during college. Uh, but one thing that he got me to do is he got me to fall in love with philosophy and logic. And, uh, it, it was just, it was pivotal, you know, like I, I was introduced to Socrates, to Aristotle, to all these guys and their deep thinking. I mean, a lot of seeking excellence comes from that. It comes from the idea of the Renaissance man that I learned my freshman year. And then a lot of the ancient Greek philosophy that I learned my sophomore year. And I started to think about, all these deeper topics and just how to kind of dive deeply into some of these more uh, conceptual things, as opposed to just focusing on the here and now I was able to kind of think outside the box, things like the allegory of the cave and, and what is justice and all this kind of stuff. Right. And it just really helped me to even dive deeper. I always felt like I had more of a, an, uh, 
I was more inclined to, to deep thinking and deep pondering than, than most, but I um, was able to just kind of develop that even more during the, these classes that I took my sophomore year, these philosophy classes. And so that was huge. And then towards the end of that year, I really started my kind of my own Bible study. And so the way that my Bible study started was I just brought like four of my closest friends together and said, hey, guys, let's meet together once a week in this classroom. We can talk about the things that we have coming up that week and we can start to set goals for the week and we can share things like we have a big test coming up or a big paper coming up. We can set goals for the semester of what grades we want to get, how much we want to be able to lift at the end of the semester, how much are you trying to work out this week? You know, what are you trying to do? Uh, what's your prayer goals for the week and all this different stuff, right? You're trying to stop cursing. You're trying to stop talking to people like this, trying to stop being so sarcastic, trying to stop being rude, don't want to yell at people, whatever it might be. Let's talk about it, set goals together. We spend all of our time together. So let's have some intentional conversation and really help each other to become better men. And so we started to do that. And that was like the beginning, the budding phase of my spiritual leadership there at the Mount. And so I did that my sophomore year. And then going into junior year, I got asked to give my testimony, which is my last testimony, uh, at least my last recorded testimony. Uh, my junior year of college, the fall of that year. And so we had a great time. I did that because that one went well. I got asked to speak at another event for the RAs and talk about perseverance. That went well. And then people were kind of like, Nate, when's your next talk? And so I'm like, I don't know. Nobody's asked me to do anything. And they were just like, well, you should do something. And I was like, yeah, I should. And so then we just decided to do talks and we just started setting up events, word of mouth. And I'd have me and a female athlete. Uh, Cause I like to speak up, speak with other people, lift other people up as well. And so I would do me a female athlete and it was kind of cool. Cause they would bring their whole team would come along or whatever. And they'd give their testimony. Then I'd try to give a talk based on a topic or a theme that I could kind of draw out of their testimony, you know, and I'd pray about it and think about it in the days leading up to it. At this point, I'm leading a full on Bible study for a bunch of different guys. We had athletes, ROTC cadets, all kinds of different people. It was awesome. A lot of people that are more on like the fringes, you know, of the, of the spiritual life there at the Mount. Uh, but it was really powerful. I got to lead Kairos that spring. We started giving these talks once or twice a month with the, with the, the ladies there at, at, uh, at school. And we just really started to see a lot of change in the people around us. And it was a beautiful thing. God was working in a powerful, powerful way during that time. And I was just very grateful. And I know that he was working the most within me. And he was just teaching me a lot. I was learning a lot about speaking, about myself, about evangelization, about, um, you know, the hearts and lives of other people. It was a beautiful, awesome time. Uh, leading Kairos was one of my favorite things I ever got to do. Some great friends, uh, you know, my boy Coleman Myron, and I got to lead uh, Kairos together that year. And I was just with a rock star group of people and just very blessed, very blessed to have them and have that experience. Uh, going into senior year, uh, I got to go do a an internship essentially at Fort Bliss, Texas with an infantry platoon and, and shadow a platoon leader. And it was just wild to me what his lifestyle was like. I mean, they were showing porn in the office. They're showing these like battle videos of guys getting blown up and dead bodies, and all these different things. And it was crazy. And I was just like, man, I really have to be rooted when I go into the military, especially cause I'm going into the infantry. And so I'm just like, I have to be rooted. I have to be strong in my faith. And so I came back even stronger in my senior year. Started basically striving to do a holy hour every day. I was leading more, speaking more, doing all these things. I got to lead, uh, speak at Mount 2000, which is a huge retreat for high schoolers. It's about 1,500 to 1,700 people that come to Mount 2000 each year. Um, 2,000, including the chaperones. Biggest talk I've ever given still. Um, and one of the best nights of my life. Absolutely best nights of my life. God just rocked my world that night. And it was so beautiful and so awesome. And uh, so Mount 2000 was such a blessing. And then I got commissioned as an infantry officer upon graduating. Um, I got to go on three mission trips 
uh, freshman, sophomore, junior year, which were beautiful to the Dominican Republic. Sister Lisa, who I talked about in the Dynamic Catholic Best Ever series this past spring. Uh, Sister Lisa, I, again, top five most influential people in my life. Sister Lisa is a rock star. I love her. She taught me so much about sainthood and holiness and how it's not just always this like nice, quiet, pleasant uh, thing, which she could be, but she could also yell. <laughs> she could also, you know, make you think that she was really going to hit you in the back of the head. Sometimes she did, um, but she was just an outstanding human, um, very, very devoted to our Lord, very loving kind, forgiving, and just had a confidence in God and a trust in the Lord that I have seen. I don't know if I've ever seen it again anywhere else. And so it's something that I really try to emulate in my life. But Sister Lisa was was just awesome. And so those those mission trips where I got to really see serious poverty for the first time in my life were really, really powerful. My senior year, I, I went to Seek 2015. Instead of going to the Dominican Republic, my deal with my chaplain at the time was that if we went to seek, we could go to a Matthew Kelly event. We went to the Matthew Kelly event and found my friend, uh, Maddie Eichmann from high school. And she invited us to go with a bunch of Franciscan university students to Nicaragua right after I graduated. So I commissioned on Friday, May 8th, May 10th. I graduated the night of May 10th. Me and my chaplain, Thomas Gallagher, um, went on a mission trip to Nicaragua. And there it was kind of interesting because when we were in Nicaragua, we served the poor or we served the rich, actually. And so they went to these private schools there and they spoke English. These little like private American schools, Catholic schools. And we did their like, you know how if you go to a Catholic school, you have a retreat once a year. And so we led their retreats. And so I just went down there, got to speak. And then at night we drink rum or these Tonyas, these beers that they had down there, which were amazing. Or we play soccer or sing songs or dance or just kind of fool around and have a good time. And we had a baller, baller squad with us during that time. And that was, I think, still to this point, the best week of my life. Absolutely fantastic. It was a beautiful mix of like senior week, you know, and a mission trip. Like we were like serving people, like bringing kids to Jesus, making kids cry during the day and all this stuff, you know, in a good way. Not um, but we were making kids cry, you know, the Holy spirit was moving in a powerful way. And then at night we just party. And it was, I mean, that's, if you know me, like those are two of my favorite things to do, let the Holy spirit move and smash some brewskis. You know what I mean? So it was just, I mean, a beautiful, a beautiful combination in a beautiful country with beautiful people. So I loved it. I come back. I had a few weeks, went to Mexico with my mom, come home from that. And then I moved to Fort Benning, Georgia, Fort Benning, Georgia, I, I do a lot of training down there. You know, when I was at Fort Benning, I got my airborne wings, went to airborne school when I was a sophomore in college. But then here I had to do my infantry training and go to ranger school while I was at Fort Benning for the next year, for the first year in the Army. And what was really cool about that is I met my dude, Bob Doherty, who actually I had met him back in my junior year of college, but we got to move in together at Fort Benning. And so at this point in Bob's life, he's an unbaptized adult and had really not much faith background. And so um, his journey was really, really cool. And one of the, the, the best examples of strong evangelization and just the importance of a strong example that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, thanks be to God. And uh, we had a really cool opportunity open up for us. So I joined the Knights of Columbus at that point in my life when I got to Fort Benning because I wanted to join some type of Catholic community. As many of you probably know, the Knights of Columbus are not always the most um, on fire, productive, uh, soul nourishing. I don't know. I think you're getting the gist of what I'm trying to say. They're not always stellar, right? So the Knights of Columbus are not always stellar. Let's put it that way. Sometimes they are. So I know if there's any Knights listening to this, don't get offended. Don't get upset. I know Knights get upset sometimes. I support the Knights of Columbus. I think they're great. 
for the most part, but sometimes they suck. So this group was not outstanding, but I did get an awesome opportunity that came from joining. I got to the email list and then they sent an email out that following week and we're like, hey, we have these dudes in basic training and they need somebody to teach them faith formation. I'm like, well, I have absolutely zero degrees in theology or anything else, but I have done a decent bit of evangelizing and I've met the other men here. And so I'm probably the most qualified person to do it. And I just really wanted to, because I was like, I thought I wasn't going to be able to lead anything anymore after I left college. So I'm like, hey, I'll do it. Like, what do they want me to do? And so he puts me, he's like, here, let me get you in touch with the priest. So I get in touch with this priest. He was, I don't want to say the most, because I've met some interesting priests in my day, but he was top three most like robotic priests I've ever known. Like, I mean, I literally don't think the man had any emotions. Maybe he did. Um, but he seemed like he had the emotions of a cinder block, you know? Um, so he was very, uh, emotionless and was just like, Hey, uh, each denomination gets two hours. As you know, probably mass is only an hour long. He's like, when I say it, it's kind of only like 45 minutes long. So we don't have any music or anything here. So we have an hour beforehand. I'll hear confessions. You do whatever you want. You want to pray the rosary, talk to him. He's like, I don't care. Do your thing, dude. I'm like, Awesome. You know, I loved it. So we started just rocking this faith formation with these Catholics. These guys are in basic trains to become basic training to become Cav Scouts, Cavalry Scouts, uh, which is like the, the infantry's like ugly stepsister. Right. And everybody knows that it's a thing. It's something that we genuinely accept as reality. And, uh, but I love them anyways. You know, I, I love them despite their, their mistake to become Cav Scouts instead of infantrymen. And uh, me and Bob started leading this thing together and it was awesome. So what Bob would do is he would give like a weather sports and news update. And then I would give a talk every, every week for 20 or 30 minutes. And it was, it was so good just to see these guys, you know, their hearts move. We're officers, which to them is a big deal. We're literally nothing. Like we're three weeks in as second lieutenants, but to them, it was like, we're awesome. We're officers. We're being friendly with them. We're dressed down in, in civilian clothes, giving them all this stuff. And I'm speaking and I'm, I'm you know, showing them that, that Catholicism can be cool. It was a really special time. Bob ends up converting a few months later. I get to be a sponsor. I'm technically his godfather, which is important to know to establish dominance. You know that I am his godfather, not just his sponsor, because he got baptized that day. Technically, his godfather and his godmother, because there's only one when you're an adult. Anyways, I am basically his father. And so, so Bob converts. We have all this fun. We go to ranger school. I'm there for, for what feels like forever. That can be a whole podcast in itself. Super sucked. Uh, did not love it, but loved graduating. Graduating was awesome. Really glad that I did it. And so I graduate. I moved to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So I get to Fort Bragg and I really feel like God just put me on the bench. You know, like you see in the movies where there's like this like rock star, you know, like rising athlete in high school or college or whatever. And then suddenly like coach puts, coach puts them on the bench and the kid's like, what in the world is happening? This is wild. How am I not getting put in the game? I'm the best player on the team. I was a little cocky at the time. Uh, there's some residue left over from that time period in my life as well. I might still be a little cocky, but I'm just like, Lord, like, let me do something. And I, I mean, I'm telling you guys, like I went to RCIA classes. I went to youth ministry. I tried to sign up for prison ministry, all these different things. And I just could not find a group. I was like, the Lord is not calling me to this. There's no joy. There's no passion around it. I don't feel like he wants me to do this. And I just didn't understand why. 
I didn't understand why. And so I went the next few years, I was a platoon leader. I went through some really dark times uh, with my commanders. I deployed to Afghanistan for six months in there. Like, I mean, I tell you, faith was really, really hard. It was hard in ranger school, but it was really hard when I was deployed. Um, we still had some access to the sacraments and things like that, but it was very limited. It was just very trying. It was a very difficult time in my life. And so, and so after deployment, I finally get back and I'm just like, okay, I think it's time for me to get out of the army. I've done everything that I think I want to do. Um, I've hit all my goals for the army and it's time to move on. You know, it's time to do something else. And so, um, I really prayed about it, thought about it and just discern like, you know, like what does God call me to do? What can be my bridge? What can be my transition into ministry? And so I applied to a bunch of different jobs. I applied to a lot of different secular jobs and things like that. And then I eventually started applying to Catholic jobs. So I was like, wow, people like me, uh, you know, like who knew that I would be valuable on the outside. I really didn't know. I'd never applied for a job before. I had never interviewed with anybody really. I worked at FedEx once when I was like 19 for like six weeks, you know, but other than that, I never really had a real job. And so I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And uh, it turned out that I interviewed well and people liked me and stuff, which was cool. And so I got a different, a bunch of different job offers, but it had been my dream. I mean, I'm talking like Derek Jeter going to work for the Yankees. It was my dream to go and work at the dynamic Catholic Institute. And so just, I remember just flying in for my interview at dynamic Catholic and I was so so excited and just arriving there, getting the tour of the office, meeting the people that worked there. It was, I mean, it was literally a dream come true just to be there was really, really cool. And so I was very excited and very happy to be there and just get offered this position to be a parish consultant, which was like my dream job. You know, everybody that I explained it to, especially people who knew me from college, because I talked about Matthew Kelly and Dynamic Catholic. I was like, wow, I can't believe this is happening for you. This is so cool. And so I became a parish consultant and got to serve the parishes of Kansas City, St. Joseph and uh, Austin, Texas. And so I have five parishes in each place and, and everything. And then during quarantine, you know, I just kind of came uh, to a point really through Exodus 90. I got to give a shout out to the boys for Exodus 90 because I started that in January, started leading a group for Dynamic Catholic in Exodus 90. And I started, I added on uh, to the to the routines and the things that you have to do. I added on a weekly reflection that I would write. And I, I took a bunch of emails and I would send them out to 75 or 80 people and uh, would send them, send them my reflections and they loved them and appreciated them and all that stuff. And, uh, I had all these backlogged writings that I could go and then turn into blogs later on and praise God, Bob created us a website back in April and we were able to kind of just like soft launch then and do these holy happy hours and different events that I had set up and started doing some live videos and things like that on Instagram. And it was just kind of all she wrote from there and things just really started to come together and God's provided and given me a great team of people to work with and, and some awesome doors have opened and things have really just started to come together. So it's been amazing, you know, seeking excellence has really been a vision in my life um, that I've had for a long time. For a long time, I felt like the Lord has put it on my heart to start something and to just share some of the wisdom and experiences and, and great people that he's given me in my life. And so it's been an honor and a pleasure up to this point. And I'm incredibly excited to see what comes about from all this stuff. But hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully you enjoyed hearing a little bit about my story and it helps, to get you, helps you to, to know me a little bit better as a person. And uh, I, I look forward to sharing a lot more depth in each of those like little stories that I shared and just kind of sharing some of the wisdom and uh, feelings and thoughts and philosophies that have been born through some of the, the pain, some of the highs and the lows of my life. So thank you very much for tuning in today and uh, we'll see you next week.